from Local 12 Sports. It's the Skinny Podcast. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly Pre edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Boring. As always, it's presented by Blake, the attorney, Maislin. For the record, we are doing this on a Wednesday night, which is rare for us. We have busy Thursdays ahead for each of us, and uh, so we've decided to move this up a little bit, but it's not going to change the tenor of the podcast. We've got a lot of college basketball to talk about, college football, obviously the Bengals back in action. So we got a lot to get to, Rick. Let's get to it. Yes, Kenny. Well, the Bengals are coming off a bye week and preparing for a West Coast game against the 49ers. The Niners lost at Minnesota 22-17 on Monday night, so they'll have a short turnaround for this game. Let's start right there. Do you think it's a good thing, bad thing, or a neutral thing that the 49ers have lost their last two games leading up to this matchup against the Bengals? Well, it's it's obviously going to change a little bit depending on the Brock Purdy situation. He's in concussion protocol, and it sounds like he's trending towards not playing. I think the last two games showed that um, you know maybe uh, he's he's not a seventh round pick worthy, but maybe he wasn't the, the the anointed one that everybody thought. It's a great story. He's done some amazing things, but then you have to wonder if the last two games been a little bit of regression to the mean, if you will, where eventually, yeah, you are going to throw some interceptions. He didn't throw a single pick until the last two games, and. Yet defenses are going to start to get a little more film on you and figure you out. They were down a major weapon, Debo Samuel, and they may well be again. Uh, no, no word on on Trent Williams, the left tackle. So, you know, I think like a lot of teams in this league, injuries do factor in, and it showed they're a little bit fallible when a couple of key parts were 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 messed up. Um, I do think you know, listen, you know, going to Cleveland's not easy at the moment for anybody, and Cleveland didn't win their most recent game at home, but the Bengals only got three points. Tennessee didn't score a touchdown. Um, this Frisco team, which has been so good offensively, lost and and had 17 points and got beat up a little bit. But I do think what the last two games have shown is that they are as fallible as some other teams in this league. I'm not, I'm not sure who is the unfallible team at the moment. Is it Philly? Is it Kansas City? Is it is it nobody? I don't know. I just know that it showed that. Listen. They were anointed the, the team to beat after they beat you know Dallas on that one Sunday night. I'm not so sure they are at the moment. Yeah, I had mentioned last week that it concerned me from a Bengals perspective to be coming off of a couple of bad games for the 49ers. Like I, I felt like you wanted the 49ers to play well against the Vikings coming into the Bengals game. But at the same time, after watching that performance, in some ways, I think it almost gives you a little more hope as a Bengals fan that maybe this – 49ers team just isn't quite as good as they look to start the season when everyone was anointing them. Yeah, I think they are really good. I don't think they're as good as Philly, but again, don't discount losing Debo Samuel of all the things that he does um, as a receiver. Occasionally as a runner, they didn't use him as much as they did a couple of years ago when they use him at running back by default because they obviously have Christian McCaffrey. He's compromised a little bit physically too with the oblique situation. Now he was a full participant in Wednesday's practice that's probably a sign that things are at least trending in the right direction for him. And he did play on, on Monday night, but you're right. I mean, it's still a really good defense. The front is still absurdly good. You still have to contend with that. But the flip side is for the Bengals. And I asked Zach Taylor this today, didn't get the answer I was probably looking for. Maybe I, I shouldn't have expected an answer to the question of it's kind of the first time your offense has been fully healthy. You got a fully healthy Joe Burrow. You got a, a, a healthy T Higgins. It's kind of the first time you got a chance to do all the things you wanted to do. Um, does it feel like that? The answer wasn't a great one. It probably wasn't a great question either. Maybe that's why I didn't get the answer I wanted. But really, in theory, th- this really is the first time. They've got kind of all hands on deck, deck with a chance to do what you want to do and unlock everything you wanted to do offensively. I think that's a huge key for this team. 
Yeah, well, I mean, and we've, we've been talking about what we want to see this team do better, whether that be running the football more effectively, whether that be getting different guys going that aren't just named Jamar Chase in the passing game. And I think those are probably the two areas where I'd want to start with you in terms of the, the Bengals side of things is, do you think we'll see a different T Higgins after the bye week? I do. And I think some of that's going to be tied to the play action passing game. I don't have the stats in front of me. We talked about this a little bit in last week's podcast. Um, my friend Paul Daner Jr. of The Athletic did a did a nice deep dive into something I kind of wrote about, too, about the whole under center thing and the play action. T's numbers when, when he's been targeted in play action are ridiculously good. And so that tells me that who's going to benefit from play action, not just this offense, but T Higgins perhaps individually as much as anything else. And again, um, they're not going to go under center 90% of the time. They're, you know, they're still going to be shotgun Joe Burrow, but there's also going to be under center Joe Burrow. And I think Joe kind of gave a soft shoe answer to it today because I think a lot of these guys, I don't want to tip my hand that we're going under center. Dude, we watched you go under center at some today in practice. And so you're you're definitely going to do it some. How much is up to you? So he kind of gave the answer of, well, we'll, we'll see. Uh, but he did say, hey, it does unlock some things in the play action game. It should unlock some things in the downhill run game, some things I talked about last week. And the guy in particular, I think that benefits is going to be T. Higgins. I think this would say a lot about T. Higgins' value going forward. Like, go go dominate for the final 11 sure. games. Right. Prove you're a number one type receiver like you've shown at times throughout your the early part of your career here. You do that, and you guarantee yourself a huge payday, whether it's from the Bengals or someone else. And, and we've talked, it's probably not going to be the Bengals, and that's fine, but it, it's it's still very mutually beneficial for him to come back and play really well these final 11 games. Yeah, and, and again, I'm going to give him a pass for the last two. I'll even give him a little bit of a pass for Cleveland with the weather and the fact that Joe Burrow was inaccurate not just with T Higgins, but with everybody in that game. We're not on the same page. So it is a smaller sample size than we'd like to look at. But to your point, you're right. Now you've got 11, hopefully, fully healthy games with the offense completely unlocked and not hindered in the five-yard window and Joe Burrow being a statue and all those things. Really, this is the full offensive uh, arsenal you got a chance to throw at them. Yes, you go ball out. Um, could you average five catches for 80 yards in the last last stretch? That's 55 catches and 880 yards just in those games alone, Rick. That probably actually – that would get him over 1,000 yards for the season despite missing a game, for goodness sake. So he still has a chance to put up some numbers, and and if he does, which he has done before, I do think this offense takes the step forward everybody expects it to take and that it needs to take and it's going to be a playoff team. All right, you've talked a lot about the Bengals going under center more here after the bye week with Joe Burrow healthy, with things kind of settling down a little bit. You're expecting them to play under center more. We talked a little bit about the need for a running back two option and, and potentially trading for Samaj P. Ryan. We obviously don't think that's going to happen at this point, but do you think the Bengals run game will be improved after the bye week? I don't know if it will immediately just because of how good San Francisco is against the run, um, but I do think you'll see some some better runs from this group it may be um you know choppy at times especially in this game and this is the hard one to unlock like hey this is going to finally be the week the run game pops even if the run game was really good I think it would struggle a little bit in in this game but I do think you'll see some better runs from Joe Mixon I think you'll see some better from the offensive line to your point I, I would love to see them get whoever they think is the number two back moving forward five to seven touches and again some of that's game dictated. Some of that's tempo dictated. Some of that's how many possessions dictated. But at some point, you're going to have to get a second running back to do something, something more than touch it once a game, 
pass block twice a game and get off the field. And then, oh, it's third and seven. We need Drew Sample in there to pass block. you got to get something more out of that backup running back. And it, and it needs to start sooner rather than later. Well, and that might be the point right there too, Skinny. Part of it might be giving them more of an opportunity because we can talk all day about how there's been no production from that spot. And I realize that a lot of those opportunities are earned in practice. If they don't trust you with what you're showing every day in practice, they're not going to give to you on Sunday when games are on the line and those those precious wins that are they're so hard to come by are on the line. But I mean, I, I think it'd be hard to say that either of these backup running back options have gotten much of an opportunity at all to this point. So maybe the answer is they, they do need a few touches per game to actually get a feel and get going at all. Yeah, and, and again, some of this has been game dictated, right? Like the first game against Cleveland, you fell behind, you tried to throw to get back into it, and then you got in garbage time and nobody did anything. And then the Baltimore game, because of the way Baltimore plays, you don't get a lot of offensive possessions. And, and then, you know, the Rams game, the way it kind of played out, boy, you needed to win that game, so you're not going to trust backup running backs to get many touches. And so it's been, I think, a combination of a lot of things where that hasn't happened. But now here's a fresh start, a fresh slate. And to your point, yeah, I mean, give it to Travion Williams five times. And if he only gains you seven yards because he goes the wrong way, runs the wrong tracks, et cetera. And some of that may be, it's not his fault. It was five really good carries that got him really good seven yards. See what he can do in those situations. And to your point about the trust, even to Travion against the, the, the Cardinals, if you remember, Joe Burrow made a check that Travion apparently didn't hear, went the wrong way. Joe Burrow lit him up, did hug him out coming off the field, which is the right thing to do. But at the same point, he's got to trust that cat to do the right thing too. And if he doesn't, what, what are we doing? I mean, we need somebody that needs to be trusted by somebody back there. Skinny, before the season, we made our predictions on how the Bengals would fare, and you did your likely wins, likely losses, and your swing games. Do you remember what the record was that you predicted prior to the season? Yeah, 11-6, and six, and I had them with three likely losses, which was the San Francisco game, unfortunately, uh, the game against Baltimore on Thursday, the Thursday night coming up on the road, and then at Kansas City. They've already played four swing games, and they're only one and three in those. I did have them going four and three mythically in swing games. Um, so, you know, maybe this is one where you can steal one back in the likely loss column. I said every year I've done this thing. Every year a likely loss becomes a win. Like last year I had them likely losing at Tampa Bay, and they won. And a likely win becomes a loss, like a couple of years ago against the Jets. Up there with, with I don't remember his name now, Mike White lighting it up that was going to be a likely win whether it was Mike White or anybody else and it turned into a loss so those two always seem to even themselves out it really seems like it comes down to the swing games and they've been really good in those over the last couple of years well you've already burned four of the seven opportunities I thought were there in swing games you're one and three so you kind of got to run the table and the swing games left for me and I'm doing this off the top of my head are the Buffalo game next week at home at Jacksonville on that uh, that Monday night game um, Pittsburgh on the road and that's it. Those are the three because they're one yeah, and three, three at the most. The three swing games left. Can they really sweep all three of those? I think that's a big ask. But can you take one out of the likely loss column and steal one? And here's your opportunity. Yeah, and I mean, you named off a few of the results already. So I think they've had two likely wins or games that you predicted as likely wins. And they won both of those, right? That was won Arizona and the Seahawks. Yeah, and the Rams. So no, the Rams. Or the Rams, excuse the Seahawks, me. The Seahawks was a swing game. That got them their one, their one win in the swing games because I had the the opener at Cleveland, the, the home game against Baltimore, and then the game at Tennessee just because it was on the road. And I really thought they'd steal at least one of those, if not two, and they ended up taking a whiff in all three. So you've 
kind of back yourself up to where you want to get to record wise. I went 11 and six. I repredicted it in a column I did this week to go to 10 and seven, just because of where they're kind of at 10 and seven. Isn't going to get you the seed you want, but it will get you in the playoffs. Yeah. And, that, and that's the point I was just going to make. It's funny. Cause we talked about going into that, that last game before the bye week how different you would feel about this team. And I think if they were two and four right now, I don't know that you're getting to 10 and seven and saying this team either. is very likely to be in the playoffs if they were two and four, but they got back to three and three. And now, I mean, just the way you broke it down in the column that you wrote this week and said, yeah, okay, it's my prediction has changed by a game, but I still have them at 10 and seven. I still have them as a, a likely playoff team. It, I mean, that's exactly where I'm at. And I think most Bengals fans probably feel somewhat similar that that, that last game before the bye week was such a big win. And Rick, if you steal this one, and it would be a steal because they are a good team and you're playing yeah. in their place and you're going to the West Coast. And to your point, they've lost two in a row. So how how what sense of urgency do they feel? Obviously a ton, I'm sure. But you go steal this game and you go, well, this team after the bye, it's really been something over the last few years. And here they go again. And I'm going to guarantee you whether they say this or not, that's going to be their feeling too of, here we go again. We're getting this thing right. Look at us when we're healthy. Look at us. Hey, since Joe Burrow's been healthy really for the last three games, meaning Arizona, Seattle, and this game, we're now 3-0. and Boy, look at us when Joe Burrow's fully healthy or at least close enough to full health. What can we do? So, boy, you steal this one. It opens up a lot of possibilities. I do think there's something to that mentality in sports, too. I mean, look at the Patriots over the years. There's been plenty of other in football but you go to college basketball you think about a team like Michigan State you know that has had so many teams where they are really good they make a run and then okay maybe they're not great that following year but those same group of guys just expect to play well at that time of year and they, they go and they make their run I think there is something to that mentality and I, I do think that's going to take over for this group skinny real quick uh, you can get the Bengals at plus 650 still to win the AFC North and you can get them at plus 2,800 or 28 to 1 to win the Super Bowl right now. Do you like either of those odds? I like the Super the, the AFC North, I still think, is going to be really hard if Baltimore stays healthy. I mean, just because they've got the game in hand already, you have to go steal one in their building, and that's still going to be really, really tough to do. You know, I don't think – even at 10 and 7, I mean, you probably wind up at best tying a Baltimore or a Cleveland or whomever – for first and they've got the game in hand already and you haven't had a lot of success inside the 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 AFC. In fact, they're winless in the AFC, Rick. They're three and zero against goofy enough the NFC West at this point, which they're playing the NFC West team this week. So you're oh for the you're over so a lot of the tiebreakers you've just mucked it up to this point, which will make it tough. But to the point of do I think this can be a playoff team? Absolutely. And as we've seen with this team, whether you like it or not, whether it makes you sweat or not, whether it's it's the perfect scenario or not, which it's not They've proven they can go on the road and win games. So 28 to 1 for Super Bowl, I like. The the odds to win the AFC North, I do not like. Yeah, I think 28 that to 1. Weird, is, right? Yeah, but I, it makes sense to me too, because I think the 28 to 1 is kind of like the last chance on the Bengals Super Bowl odds. They they were way lower to start the season. If you wanted to play that number, they were like fifth, fourth or fifth lowest odds yeah, out there yeah, like because they were one yeah, of the favorites. Yeah, and then they went sky high when the Bengals started off 0-2 and, and and were really struggling. You could have got it at better odds than it is right now, but 28-1 to is still really good if you feel like this team is a legit Super Bowl contender. The thing is, after this point, you're you're either they're going to start winning more games. Like if they beat the 49ers, those odds are going to decrease a bunch again. Correct. Or if they lose more, then do you really want to 
consider playing this at that point. I, I don't yeah, think right, you would. Right, so right. to me, this is the kind of the last chance buy on Bengals Super Bowl odds. Personally. I'm with you. And 28 to one's a juicy price for a team that I still think is very capable of doing that. And I say that again, thinking just mathematically how hard it's going to be to win the North. So for me, give me 22 to one extra than the six to one to win the division, to win it all. If you're going to, if you're going to get in, might as well go for the whole shebang. I agree. Six and a half to one just isn't enough to, to entice me there on something that's going to be so difficult. Uh, all right. Let's switch gears to college football, and we're going to talk about the local games. There are only two of them, but we've got to start with the story that everyone is talking about around the college football world this week, and that is the Michigan scandal. The NCAA is investigating Michigan for allegedly sending a guy to games of other college football teams that Michigan might play and having him film the sidelines to steal their signs. The staffer would then use that information to relay the calls to the Michigan coaching staff during games, And there's no evidence as of yet that Jim Harbaugh or other Michigan coaches knew about it, but there is reportedly video evidence of it happening. Uh, As I'm going through that, Skinny, of course, is making all kinds of gang signs on the screen there. Uh, Skinny, what do you make of all of this? What should the penalty be, assuming it's all true, uh, which it appears to be? I mean, this is truly just an absolutely silly, but also very college athletics-like story. So Rick, in full disclosure, I've not read the latest today, but what I heard on on a, one of the national shows, it sounded like they're leaving this up to the Big Ten to to mete out punishment. Is that correct? Uh, that that could be true. I didn't see that part of the update. Um, I, I was so, looking at some stuff just before we went on, but that, I mean, w- w- what do you do with Michigan right now? They're in the midst of running to a national championship potentially, and meanwhile, you've so, got this scandal. Right. So if you're the conference and you have two legitimate contenders, right? Ohio State and Michigan, Penn State has fallen by the wayside, but you have two legitimate contenders to win this with the potential for both to get in. I mean, if they both get to the final game undefeated and it's another good game and that team, that's the only loss they suffer, et cetera. Again, you could get both of these teams in and the money that each team gets in the conference, the share of, of this is significant. Do you think you're really going to, if you're the big 10 rule against Michigan here, uh, you may kick the can. You may rule in two years. You may rule in three years that, you know what, um, they fired the staff or we're glad they did that, so they meted out their own punishment. And, yeah, Jim Harbaugh's got two games. Meanwhile, by that point, Jim Harbaugh's coaching the Chicago Bears. So at the end of the day, what does this What does this really do? There's going to be nothing to this when all is said and done. Nothing. Well, and even if they leave it up to the NCAA, like, like the NCAA right. is known for moving quickly on no. matters like this. I mean, that'll be 10 years from now that before we Correct. ever hear about anything, and that'll just be a, a slap on the wrist to the fourth or fifth Michigan coach since this all happened. So I, I don't know what can actually be done. I don't have much faith in the idea that like Michigan's season is going to be shut down, nor do I necessarily want that because this makes for incredible drama. Like the rest of the season – each Michigan game is going to be so drama filled that Michigan Ohio State game, assuming they're both undefeated now, is like just the ratings for that and the amount of trash talk between the fan bases and everything that goes into that is just going to be perfect for college it, it, athletics. Be- so I like this. This is funny to me, but at the same time, it like if I'm a, a fan or a member of the staff or one of the players for an Ohio State fan, for instance. I'm livid about this. Like, I do not want Michigan to be allowed to compete. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. Here's why I don't think teams in the Big Ten are going to want to do anything about this. Now, certainly Michigan took it to an nth degree by this cat buying tickets to other stadiums and going around to watch to some degree. Although I'm going to tell you why I think this is overblown. Um, 
don't tell me that other teams aren't figuring out ways to try to steal signs and signals. And the funny thing to me is you see it every Saturday, Rick, there's five quarterbacks on the sidelines. They all have different vests on four of them are dummy calls. And one guy is the live guy. Good luck to you figuring out who the live guy is when it all said and done. I mean, that's the part. Well, come on. Well, if, well, the thing is, and I think that's where this comes in. If you're filming every single play and then you watch the big hitters, you can probably pair it up as like, okay, they ran that twice. Th- there's the commonality between them yeah. running it is that that sign was up both times. I mean, like, I think, you, I, th- I think if you're a smart staff, you're changing the dude who's doing it every single solitary week. You're changing that dude around, or you're changing it maybe from series to series for all I know. Maybe. And, and look, I think the argument that this isn't really that big of a deal in terms of like gaining a competitive advantage because every team is trying to do this to some extent. And as you're pointing out right now, how good can you really be at it? I think that may be a fair one. At the same time, the fact that you are intentionally going out of your way to cheat like this, it does make it a big deal. Like it just, you, you aren't just doing it the way everyone else is doing. It's kind of like the Astros. You're not just figuring out if a guy is tipping his pitches and then doing what you can to relate to your teammates in a legal way. You're going out of your way to skirt the system and cheat. And I mean, with the, the past allegations against Jim Harbaugh, at a certain point, we just have to call a spade a spade and realize that like this guy, it, it's kind of like people that like having sex in public, skinny. At, at some point, the thrill of doing it and potentially getting caught is why they're doing it. And I think that's the why case with use, Jim Harbaugh. Why did you use my name with emphasis right there when you said that? Well, I just, you know, you've only been arrested once in your youth from what I understand. Yeah, so, yeah, I didn't mean I, that. I get it. But here's the thing. And, and at the end of the day, when this all comes down and push comes to shove, if if Jim Harbaugh feels the heat is going to come down for whatever is going to happen to him, he's going to get stripped of this. He's going to the pros. He's going to jump. He right. jumped at the Bears after this year go, you know what the hell? I'm not going to deal with any of this crap. Right. That's the thing about all of this. It matters very, very little to Jim Harbaugh. And... I, like, if you're a Michigan fan, how do you feel about this? Do you care at all? Do you like, I don't does care. it bother you that Jim Harbaugh is your coach still or not no. at all? No. Yeah, no, you still want him, right? I mean, you want no, to keep him bo- around. You want to beat Ohio State. You want to potentially win a championship. What bothers me is he can't beat TCU. That's what bothers me. If I'm a Michigan <laughs> fan. Yeah, no, I mean, exactly right. And I, 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 this is just, this is so perfectly college athletics. It's something that can well, only happen there. And it's like, it's perfectly caught in between something and, that's so stupid and doesn't matter. And yet is like the biggest story in the world right now. And my man's name, what, is it Colt? I know his last name is Stallions. Is it Colt Stallions? Is that his name? What's his first name? Con- Connor Stallions, right? Connor Stallions. What a great name. And yeah, he's a Navy great. SEAL. I mean, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's an Army Ops guy. He's, he's got all, he is the spy of spies, man. Well, well and to that point, Shouldn't this be more sophisticated? They were buying tickets using the coaching staffer's name to buy the tickets. And then the guy who's doing it, his buddy or whatever, is going there and filming it with his cell phone. Well, that's what they're using from that far away. Like we can't get my man like something a little bit more high tech. It's 2023. At least the Patriots tried to sneak in the press box and and shoot, shoot it under the guise of um, of of Patriots media people and that did they, they, I still love when they got caught up in Cleveland trying to do the Bengals side. It was the best. But that's when the Bengals security guy goes goes too late. The gig's up, my friend. <laughs> you guys were all in there for that, right? You got to see it. We were we didn't even know what was going on. We didn't even know the dude was getting busted and he's right next to us. Just beautiful. Just, but I mean isn't there probably an easier way to do this in 2023? Like there's got to be enough video feeds and cameras and different things that they can get access to, to where they don't have to physically be there filming it with a cell phone from 400 yards away. Correct. And I still go back to, I, 
if you steal signals, can you if you tr- can you really know what's coming? Do you really know what's coming? Really? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I will say some of the video evidence is fascinating. Of it. And, and every staff is doing this. They're looking to see what the other team is going to call. And then they're relaying their own adjustment, you know, right before the snap as well. But some of the video people, uh, other teams had showing Connor Stallions relaying calls, the defensive coordinator is pretty damning and pretty funny. I mean, it just, I, I this say- is again, this is just so great for college football rivalries. The guy I coached for at Beachwood High School, I won't give away his secret, but he he was such a great underneath out-of-bounds play designer and play caller. So what would happen is the other three or four assistants on the bench of us would all do different hand signals, right? And he had his own method for calling the play that that was very silent, very subtle. No one ever – in fact, we would have assist, we'd have coaches for other teams going, going, we're not trying to ask what you got, but how do you guys do Because we can't figure out what your underneath out-of-bounds stuff is. Oh, really? Well – it's we it's it's really we've got this down to us i mean all these teams are more sophisticated than we little stupid ass high school coaches were they got to figure out how to mess with these teams and, and by the way why can we, all this money we're talking about that these these well, teams these conferences are making this. why can we not just put telecoms in the helmets correct and in fact as much as i think brian kelly is a clown and he killed someone once as we know um he's right in what he said today he did, he did. He didn't kill the kid. Um, he but he's right what he said today of why is this complicated that we can't do this in the helmet? I mean, it, it all the it, money that's around college football and we can't do this in a, in, in, in a helmet? Come on now. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's the thing that drives me crazy about it. It's like, why are we even talking about this still as a thing when, I mean, what, what does that cost to add a, an electronic, you know, telecommunications device inside a helmet in 2023. It can't be that big. Especially if they're as paranoid as they are about people stealing their (laughs) signals, right? Yeah. Well, the best thing is who was it Georgia earlier this year who had the big uh, like flag or whatever awning that they held up. So it was covering up their calls being relayed down and everyone was like, Oh, they're so paranoid. It turns out they knew what was going on the whole time. They were just trying to call 95, 95 Y Z waggle 34 on two. You can't see my voice. You can't see me doing anything. It's (laughs) also stupid. Just, you know what, All coach right. your dudes up and run the play and call it a day, my man. How about execution there, Jimmy? How about that, huh? There you go. Thank you. Yeah. Ohio State beat Penn State 20-12 to in the game of the week, Skinny. Uh, the score of this game honestly felt closer than the game actually was. I thought Marvin right. Harrison Jr. dominated. I thought JT Tui Maloau dominated. Uh, Kate Stover had some great plays. Uh, aside from that, I mean, I don't know that there was much to talk about or much that stood out, but this was this felt like Ohio State clearly better, clearly a cut above that next tier that includes Penn State and some other teams. Yeah, and, and t- until Penn State breaks through, you can't believe in them to break through. And um, it feels like every time they get to a game like this, their offense folds into a shell or they make stupid mistakes. And Ohio State is simply light years better still, and so is Michigan at this point. So. Um, and James Frank- Franklin's a douche to boot, so I'm, I'm glad that he lost. He's a clown, um, and, and and honestly, he his offense looked very pedestrian. We we both talked last week. I I, I missed the game because I thought, from a point spread perspective, I thought it was going to be within a score. So I had Penn State plus the points. But we both thought it was going to be this kind of a scoring game, and it, it really was. And to your point, you know, Penn State got a late touchdown, not a cheapie, but because they drove the field, but a late touchdown that made it closer. You know, Ohio State dominated them. They. They, that offense wasn't going to do anything that day against that Ohio State defense. That's where I go back to, I know I can't trust the Ohio State offense, but I can trust the defense, and I can trust that if Marvin Harrison's healthy, he is probably in every big game going to make enough big plays 
to save their ass. Do I think they're a great team? Do I think they're the best team? And I, I you know, I, I've seen a couple of college football predictors. I think ESPN's predictor has them now as the favorite to win the national championship. I'm not sure I buy that, but I do buy that defense being national championship caliber. And I do believe Marvin Harrison's the best player in college football, and he's going to make plays when you need him to. That's why I don't need signals to go um, throw it to 18 on two, ready, break. I mean, honestly, I don't need. I, that's, that's, it's pretty simple. Hey, we're going to throw it out here to this guy, and you can't cover him. Good luck. Well, and, and that's a, a great point. Like when your weakness of your team, which is Ohio State's offense, and probably, I mean, the, the running game is not very good either, but the passing game right. at times and the quarterback play is suspect at times. But that also includes Marvin Harrison Jr., who, as you just said, is probably the best player in all of college football. When you have that type of talent as part of your weakness, it, it gives you a chance and it really covers some things up. Uh, speaking yeah. of Marvin Harrison Jr., by the way, do you think he's a legitimate Heisman candidate? I do because of how Caleb Williams has obviously fallen off the radar. I'm going to give Michael Penix Jr. a pass a little bit for the Arizona State or the Arizona game, whatever it was. Some of that, everybody's going to have a one-off. They just are um, along the pass. So I'm going to give him a little bit of a one-off. But once, if you want to take Caleb Williams out of the equation at the moment, if you you know scoff at Washington, although they're going to push their way towards being in the college football playoff, but if you want to scoff at Michael Penix Jr. and this was a game that took him off the radar – at the moment, Marvin Harrison Jr. is probably the guy. I mean, he is clearly the guy in college football, in my opinion, at the moment, that that single-handedly is carrying an offense. Pennick's pretty damn close. When he is on, he carries that that Washington offense. But, boy, Marvin Harrison Jr. is stupid special. And yeah, he's I'm doing just... it with a quarterback that, that, no offense, he's not elite. And Maybe he, maybe Kyle McCord becomes elite one day. He's not elite. So he's doing that without an elite running game and without really an elite quarterback. Yeah, Marvin Harrison Jr. would be my Heisman pick right now. And part of it's because he's doing it in big games. Ohio State right. probably has the best resume in college football right now, and, and he's shown up in those big games. He just takes over. And uh, I don't think another player is like that this year. Michael Penix, I'm sorry. He's having a great year. It's a great story. I just don't see him as a real Heisman winner. I, 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 it's just hard for me to see that being the case. I, I think he'll play himself out of that. Well, and, we and, get there. and right or wrong, playing on the West Coast still from because again, this is a voter-driven award. You know, yep. voters voters may see stats or see results, but they don't see him because um, I do think he's special. But to your point, I, yeah, if I had a vote today, um, to your point, I would vote for Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah, uh, this is probably unfair. But going back to Kyle McCord, is he good enough to beat Michigan or Georgia? It's a great question. Um, you know, I wasn't sure he was good enough to beat Penn State, and when he needed to make some throws again, he did it. And I, I think, I think for this kid especially, it's just don't put us in a hole, son. Don't make any bad mistake. Don't force something that's not there. Let our defense keep setting you up enough to where you're finally going to hit a big player too. We've got a special athlete that's going to make, make a big player too, and we'll go from there. So, um, he, yeah, again, he's not elite, but I, I will say I don't think he does put them in harm's way very often. That's a big part of quarterback play. It's an underrated part of quarterback play. He really doesn't put them in harm's way a ton. He'll take a sack rather than force a ball, and I, I think that's fine. If you take a sack and you say, you know what, the hell with it, we're just going to punt and play defense and we'll get it back and see where we're at, I'm good with that. I think that's a good formula, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's like to, to a certain extent, you know, is he good enough to beat Notre Dame? Well, he went out and beat Notre Dame, and maybe Correct. that wasn't a lot of him. It was more the defense, but he got the win. He and, had a big drive. Uh, is he, right, is he good enough to beat Penn State? Well, okay, he went out and beat Penn State. So 
he, he keeps answering the bell. He has an undefeated team, and you look at his numbers, and quite honestly, they're pretty darn good. It's I, I just I don't see that type of playmaker that Ohio State and some of the other top teams have at that position. He also, he's just missing some throws. I mean, in this game, especially against Penn State, I thought it really could have been a blowout if you if you yep. factor in the uh, red zone trip where they had it inside the five and and they didn't get a touchdown. Didn't get in, and yeah, yeah, and then the I mean, they had the play early where he missed on what could have been like an eighty yard touchdown, wide open receiver, and he misses badly. There, there's just too many throws that are being missed, and I, I, I hate to do this because it, it is unfair at this point to him, and definitely unfair to the team after a great, great win against Penn State. But I can't help but think when I look at this and I start thinking about what's down the line that he could be what costs them against Michigan or or Georgia at some point. As but I mean, you, but you want to be in that position, right? Yeah, no, I, that's exactly. Let me be in that position. Let's see what the kid was. Maybe the kid responds better than we ever think. Yeah, it, should Ohio State be ranked number one in the first college football playoff rankings when they're released next week? No, I still think that should be Georgia. I mean, I hate to I hate to be the guy that says until you beat the king, they're the king, and until you beat the king, they're the king. In my opinion, I mean, it just is what it is. They're still you can argue with what they've done, and maybe they haven't been pretty at times. Blobbity bloobity blee, they still kick people's ass for the most part. Yeah, I don't disagree with that, and that's certainly how the AP poll sees it. Georgia's number one, Michigan number two, and Ohio State number three. Uh, but the argument that I've seen being made, and I do think the college football playoff rankings have been a little bit different in this way, it, see, they really seem to value your resume at that point in time. And uh, if we're just looking but at is Ohio State's resume, wins, that is Ohio State's resume that pristine? Two top ten wins. No one else has that. Yeah. I, but it's, I don't know, man. I, I – I get your point there, I guess, but I, I they haven't been pristine either because we keep questioning their offense, right? So right, right. I, again, I'm I'm sticking with the king until somebody beats the king. I'm sorry, that's just the way it is for me. And maybe they slop it up against Florida and get their ass beat or look really ugly, and that changes my opinion. But um, e- even in some of the wins that have been ugly for them, like the Auburn game, they still won and they still did the things they needed to do to win, and that still matters in my opinion. I, it, listen, when you play in a major league. Again, Ohio State didn't look great on Saturday, but I'm not apologizing, nor should they, for beating Penn State by eight at home. It's a good win. It's not a great, I mean, it's not marquee in my opinion. It's a good win. Take it and run to the bank. The only argument that I really see is just the idea that Ohio State has the more impressive resume to this point, being that they have the two big wins, and and Georgia just hasn't played that level of competition yet. Now, they obviously play the, the highest level of competition you can play when you play in the SEC, but in terms of the games that they've played this year so far, it, it just they don't have those two standout wins yet. And um, let, let, me, I, let me go back to this. Let me ask you this. I'm going to put them on a neutral field. Who's the favorite? I think Georgia should be. And and like, again, I, I don't have any argument against Georgia being number one, even if they are in the college football playoff rankings next week, the number one team. I have just seen the argument for Ohio State by a couple of different people since the Penn State win. And I thought, you know, that's an interesting point. I'd, I, I, I can see it either way, I guess. I don't have a real strong opinion on this one. Yeah, and obviously those games, the, the college football playoff games are, are neutral sites in theory, although you don't want – Georgia playing in Atlanta when the time comes it won't happen this year, but you don't want that. But you know these are all new, so you get a chance to prove it, and that's the great part about it. I mean, you may not always like the Final Four, etc., and who's there and whatever, but the the teams that are there get a chance to prove it. Like last year, it didn't look like TCU had any business playing with Michigan, right? And there they got a chance to prove it, and they proved it. And then the national championship game, cute little TCU got proven against it because Georgia proved it was the best. So I, when push comes to shove. No matter who's won here, however this shakes out, if they're all, if it ends up being 
at least the top three teams in the football college football playoff, they're going to get a chance to sort themselves out, which I think that's the best part of it. All right, Cincinnati's comeback attempt fell short against Baylor's. They fell 32-29 at home, back-to-back losses at Nippert. UC was trailing 29-14 heading in the fourth quarter of this game, Skinny. They managed Great. to make a game of it, but uh, were just not able to come up with the final points they needed there in the final five minutes. What were your thoughts on a fifth straight loss for UC's football team? It's just disappointing because – Again, I'm not asking you to go beat Oklahoma in year one. I'm not. Nobody is. Nobody should have been, and nobody was, I don't believe. But Iowa State and Baylor at home in a year where they're both meh, you got no excuses there. You have none if you think you're going in the right direction. And so the the distressing part is this, and Jason Williams of the Enquirer wrote a, wrote a column of how much time do you give Scott Satterfield. And it is an interesting I debated it with him a little. Not debated. We talked about it. I was on the radio show on WLW on Friday. Uh, on Eddie and Rocky's show, and Jason was filling in as a host, and the question was asked of me about that, and I said, yeah, I don't know what the timeline is. I don't know if it's two years or three years. I just know if you feel like you're digging a big hole, you better get the hell out of that hole as fast as possible, and I don't know if that's the case right now with Scott Satterfield. You know, maybe he's going to lay some great foundation recruiting-wise. Maybe they're going to rally the troops and have a great finish to this season. I don't believe that's the case, but you don't want two and ten, two and ten back-to-back, and I'm not suggesting that's the case. But it's certainly on the flipping table at the moment, is it not? Yeah, I mean, I think it is crazy to be talking about firing Scott Satterfield or moving on from him just yet. The only reason for that conversation is because fans here are so familiar with where he was at Correct. at Louisville, and and the fact that Louisville and that was wanted the to get rid of him, but they just hire. didn't pay the buyout. Yeah, yeah, and exactly was, right. Yeah, that was always the danger of that hire. And listen, I know that, that Matt Campbell turned the job down, the Iowa State coach. I think he'd have been a home run hire because of, look what he did to resurrect the Iowa State program. And he's got some local ties, and he recruited okay here locally. He's taken some kids out of Cincinnati and taken them to to uh, to, to Iowa City. So, I mean, it, it's, it's a perfect storm of ugly just because of, uh, of the hire, of the lack of success, of just the fact of, again – this, this program hasn't lost at home very much of late. And now you're losing to middle of the road to less than middle of the road Big 12 teams. Well, if you're a big boy Big 12 team, those are the teams you have. You don't, It's not a matter of, boy, I hope you beat them. No, you have to beat them. I hope you beat Oklahoma. Uh, I hope you beat what Oklahoma State when it's playing well, which is playing well right now. You gotta go I hope for those. Those are hopes. And if you do, it's great. No, these are ones you got to get. Do you think the – UC administration is regretting not talking to Deion Sanders more or going after him? Maybe. It's a great question because, you know, that was kind of a the, – the, remember that? I think we talked about it on the podcast. I know we talked about it with some colleagues that, that cover the Bengals, et cetera. That was kind of the whole, oh, yeah, Deion, isn't this going to be cute? They should bring him – maybe. Yeah, maybe. I know this much. I don't know if, if, if he'd have – any more level of success than Scott Satterfield's had at the moment? I don't. I really don't. I can't say that with a shirt. I don't either. But, but by God, there'd be enough juice to get this program revitalized. And that's the problem with the Scott Satterfield thing right now. There's no juice, man. There's none. There is. It's just, God, I hope this guy screws up enough to get him fired sooner rather than later because it feels so damn inevitable. And I hate that because it's not fair seven games in. It's just not, but it feels so inevitable. It's like, well, as soon as we can do this, let's do it. Well, it's definitely not fair to the players that are right. there. I mean, the, the the fan base before they even ha- ever had a chance were out on the new head coach, and I don't necessarily blame them for that because I wouldn't no. have been excited about that hire either. But man, is this a tough spot to be in? I mean, when you 
<laughs> when you've just got no support and like you said the the fan base is actively rooting for you to fail as quickly as possible so they can just move on um and and we're not even midway through year one yet or we're just getting to the midway point of year one yeah, yeah. i mean that's really that's really a tough way to go for scott satterfield but especially the kids on this team right now you know the one thing i will give them credit for though skinny this game looked like it was headed to be a completely i mean a complete blowout it was a blowout at halftime i mentioned 29 14 heading in the fourth quarter and you know maybe baylor let their foot off the gas a bit but at the same time uc did not quit they did make a game of it they did have a chance to win this game in the fourth quarter you know they ran the ball 43 times for almost 300 yards and a couple of scores Corey kiner had a big game on the ground i mean there were some some positive signs and things that happened late in this game. And and I definitely don't think it's a case where Scott Satterfield has lost the locker room at, at this point with the, the guys that are in there, but uh, he's definitely lost the fan base. I think. Yeah. And, and that's the part is, is, I mean, listen, could you run it 55 times? Maybe you need to, I don't, I don't know. I mean, how much of this is schematics, how much of this is what's your identity, how much of this is you just don't have the right personnel. Maybe you don't, you know, maybe maybe they overestimated that. One thing that is a little distressing is I did think they had enough personnel on defense to hold their own in the Big 12, and to this point, they have not. Yeah, you can argue the Oklahoma game. I'll give you that. Some of that was, I think, Oklahoma, after blowing people out, kind of slogged through that game a little bit too and just relied on their defense. But to me, that's the part that's distressing is the defense has just not been very good. And they just keep making special teams gaff after special teams gaff after special teams. It's a, their special teams is a joke. Yeah. Well, Kentucky was on the bye last week, so uh, they have a big game coming up this week against Tennessee. We'll talk a little bit more about that matchup here in the, the betting pick segment coming up. But let's move on to college basketball right now. Big East Media Day was Tuesday at Madison Square Garden. We talked about the SEC Media Day, the Big 12 Media Day, and the Horizon League Media Day last week. Uh, this week it was Big East. Xavier was picked to finish sixth out of the 11-team conference. Zach Fremantle also curiously was named all Big East preseason honorable mention, even though he's not going to be playing this year for Xavier. Um, and Any thoughts on Big East Media Day and, and where Xavier's picked to finish here in the Big East? Yeah, who who was right behind them? Providence, is that right? Was Providence, yeah, Providence right after Providence that. was yep. seventh and Georgetown was eighth. So if you're going to tell me yep. Providence was seventh with Ed Cooley going bye-bye and Georgetown's eighth because that's probably more of an Ed Cooley bump than anything else, that feels about right. I mean, I can't – I'm not sure I can pick them even close to heading any of the top five ahead of them. Can you? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, maybe there's an argument to be made that St. John's is just a complete unknown and people are a little too high on them. But yeah. uh, my you know standpoint what? is that Cat's earned it. I mean, Rick Pitino knows what he's doing, yes. and they've got enough talent that he's probably going to be pretty good. So uh, I'm fine I, with I mean, him I trust him to stay off the floor of an Italian restaurant with a woman, but I trust that Cat to coach some college basketball. That's right. That's uh, that's where I would put it too, in, in terms of an assessment. So I'll take those teams top five, no problem. I think Xavier six is fine. You could argue Providence above them and put them at seven if you want, and I think that would be right. But six or seven seems to be dead on, in my opinion. And is that probably a spot? Because if you go sixth in the league, you're probably finishing over five hundred, right? Probably not. Not a ton. Somewhere over. right about it. Yeah. Yeah. If you do enough in the non-con, that should be enough to get you in the tournament, yes? I think this is a year where you are going to see at least five teams and potentially six, maybe even as many as seven knocking on the yeah. door of getting into the NCAA tournament this year. So I think the sixth-place team 
would probably be an NCAA tournament team if I had to guess. And that's exactly where I expect Xavier to be at the end of this year, a team that's right on the bubble, trying to play their their way in in, in those final games. But if you told me that they slipped and fell down to seventh or eighth and, and struggled a bit, that wouldn't surprise me either. All right, give me some secret scrimmage notes, baby. Notre Dame. Notre Dame came in and waxed their ass. Give me some secret scrimmage notes. Yeah, Musketeers lose 91-84 in a secret scrimmage. Allegedly, allegedly. We uh, you know, it's a big deal if you report on the happenings of this. But skinny, the funniest part of this whole deal. Whoa, 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 whoa. How do you know the score if it was secret? I'm about to tell you, this is another perfect like college athletic situation where we have to do this whole charade of it's a secret scrimmage and no one's allowed in and it's closed down. And it's, it's a state secret. It's a very big deal. And the coaches have to yell at everyone about, don't you dare let a box score out or I'll fire everyone on my staff and all of this stuff, right? And lo and behold, Xavier and Notre Dame are playing this scrimmage at Centos Center on Sunday afternoon and live tweets start popping up from at CIE Guardians. And we get through the first half. This kid has stats. This kid has all types of uh, description of what's going on. And then at halftime, he goes live on Twitter spaces. The entire second half, he does a play-by-play broadcast of the second half. Break all the copyright. Break all the copyright rules, my man. Good luck. Good job. Well, well, hey, look, no one has broadcast rights to the secret scrimmage. You know, I mean, he, he was in the clear on that, but... Uh, Xavier was not too happy about this information getting out there. Of course, there was a huge investigation. I, I believe the kid might've left like a, a cup behind that got him in trouble or whatever. Uh, so DNA? they're going through the security footage D- and DNA, they got DNA on him. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, how incredible is it that one, that we even have to worry about something like this happening, but yes. two, that this kid, we we've been going through these secret scrimmages for years now. There's been different levels of info getting out, but never have we seen, at least to my knowledge, a kid sneak into one of the arenas and broadcast part of the scrimmage live, uh, a ballsy move. And I, I don't know if we should be congratulating it. the kid or, or cheering him oh, on, I'm, but I'm I gonna, thought it was pretty hilarious. Son, go get you a job in this business. Well done, buddy. Well done. Yeah. You probably yeah. won't keep your credential if you keep doing this when you're really a credentialed media member. That's a hell of a start, my man. I, I mean, hopefully the kid's like still allowed to be in school because I, I think they found him. I don't know what type of a punishment you can dole out for something like that. That's not breaking the law or necessarily the code of conduct from what I've read. Um, but yeah, just just an awesome situation. And in terms of the actual game, Xavier losing to Notre Dame, who is expected to be one of the worst high major teams in the sport this year. So that is yep. uh, not a good result if you're a Xavier fan. But I mean, like, I never really pay too much attention to scrimmage results in general, just because like last year Xavier lost to Vanderbilt and then went to the sweet 16 and Vanderbilt was terrible. So you never really know what to take from it, but like the, these teams do want to win these things. They may not all play them the same way. They may not all scout the same way, but these teams do try. They do try to win these things. They would rather win than lose. I think if you asked them, uh, so I, it's it's an interesting result for sure that that Xavier struggled. That it's it's fascinating to me that they were able to score eighty four points and their offense must have had a lot of success and yet they lost to this Notre Dame team that's not supposed to have much talent. Yeah, I, I, it, it, all it is is a starting point for me. I, I'm I'm kind of the same. I, listen, anything I play or coach, I want to win. But most times I've coached scrimmage games. There's a purpose to it. I just want to see some guys in action. I want to see different lineup combinations. I want to test out a couple of defenses. I remember one year I scrimmaged a team, and, and we both agreed to have, like, these two zone periods just so we could both run our zone offense. 
we got killed. I think they outscored us 40 to four in this, in the zone period. And I'm like, well, I never zone for starters. So that's why we were so bad defensively. And yes, our zone offense was terrible. So I have to do a couple of tweaks there. I mean, that's, that's part of it. Yeah. And, and I heard like, for instance, not that this affected Xavier because they're not really a zone team, but I heard both teams before the scrimmage said, Hey, we're not going to play any zone today. Right. Because we just haven't worked on zone offense enough. So there are things like that that happen in these scrimmages that make them a little bit different. Also, right. sometimes you'll have like a guy get seven or eight fouls because you're not just right. going to sure. hold a guy out of the scrimmage that. because of foul trouble, you know, trust me. I saw that in the Kentucky blue white game. There was a dude. I, I wish I could remember which caddy was. He committed three fouls in the first 90 seconds. He committed his seventh foul about a minute into the second half. It was great. Yeah, yeah. So you have things like that going on. I don't know that that like impacted the the situation of the score right. in this one. I'm not trying to like defend Xavier's loss, but it these aren't it's normal not, games. It's not alarming. Yeah, it's not alarming, but it is like an, a result that I, I understand why people perked their ears up at, or you know were, were kind of surprised when they saw it because we've heard so much about how bad this Notre Dame roster is going to be and how much Micah Shrewsbury has had to rebuild it since he took over that job this offseason. So, I mean, Xavier is such an unknown coming into this year. I think the biggest thing that stood out for me from the the little bit that I heard is just the freshman from Serbia, Lazar Djokovic, who's like 6'10 and, and skilled and athletic, sounded like he started at the four and played about as many minutes as anybody. So I, he was a guy that I wasn't sure if he was in the starting lineup or one of the last guys off the bench or where he kind of fit in at this point. It sounds like he's going to be playing an awful lot for this team. Yeah, I mean, listen, on paper, when you came out of last season, you're down two huge parts for different reasons. Yeah, Zach Fremantle struggles on the defensive end, blah, 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 but he's such a skilled offensive player that he is a difference maker. That's why he got votes for honorable mention in the Big East. And the way Jerome Hunter just progressed and his toughness and physicality, you're mi- that's, that's a big chunk. I'm not making excuses because you don't got them, so you got to make up for them, but that's a big chunk to lose right there. Yeah, yeah, and I think this team is definitely going to have its struggles, especially early on in the year as they try to get used to life without those guys. But, I mean, they did go to the Bahamas back in the end of July or beginning of August or whatever it was. I mean, that feels like a lifetime ago now. So they have been getting after it for a little bit, and I think they're, they, they've they started to move on by this point. Dude, they beat the Ron John Tiki Bar team. I mean, come on. <laughs> I, I Yeah, not really that so much as it is just practicing together and learning the yeah, system yeah. and all of those no, things. I mean, fair. like – you have all these new guys and, and we talked so much about 10 new players, but to to some extent, I mean, it feels like we've been, we've been watching this group practice for four or five months straight here now. Well, I, I heard Sean talk about that. I'm like, we've been doing this for three plus months. I'm like, well, you really have, haven't you? Holy cow. That's yeah. True. I mean, it just feels like a long season already to, I mean, for, from an outsider's perspective, I'm the one on the court banging and, and running up and down. So I can, I can imagine how those guys feel. Yeah. All right, let's get on to our betting segment. Last week, you were 2-2. Two and two. Remember, we didn't have the Bengals and we didn't have Kentucky. Right. So just uh, four picks here, two different games. You were 2-2. Two and two. I was 3-1. and one. That moves you to 29-22-1 overall. I am now 26-25-1 overall. I believe I lost my teaser too, correct? I think, I'm 99% you, sure I lost. Yeah, you did. The Lions let you down, and then the Raiders really killed you on your, your teaser. They, yes, they, they were not even about close. Them. Daggone. Yeah. yeah, I forgot about that. Um, and then my 49ers first half minus three and a half did not hit at all. That completely backfired. And then I stupidly kept chasing points because they were down. And I was like, oh, now we've got great value on the live line. And I kept playing the 49ers and they just mm-hmm. never, never okay. turned it around. So that was a costly Monday night game for me. But uh, we're going to get some of it back here this week. And starting Saturday at 7 p.m., we've got Tennessee at Kentucky. The Vols are a three and a half point favorite. 51 and a half is the total. 
Yeah, I think the game goes way over the total, to be honest with you. Um, it's hard for me to pick Kentucky at the moment. I know they're coming off the bye week. Hopefully they've tweaked some things and twinged some things. And what was Cal saying? Is that the tweak in the twinge? Was that what it was? The tweak? The tweak. tweak. Yeah, I I don't know what the tweak might be. If it's the up-tempo, all those things. You want to go up-tempo when Tennessee wants to go up-tempo. So I'm not sure if it's a good time to do all those things. And it's hard for me to pick Kentucky, but I am going to pick them to cover because I'm an idiot. So I'm going to go Tennessee 33, Kentucky 30. So Kentucky plus a three and a half and the over for me. Um, a win wouldn't shock me and a blowout loss wouldn't shock me to be quite frank. I don't know what to expect. I, I think this feels like Custer's last stand for this team um, to make it a season that they want to make it. Cause if not, then they're going to be fighting just to get bowl eligible. I couldn't agree more. I said last week, this is, is it basketball season week for Kentucky? If they lose this was, game, I went, to the blue white, I went to the blue white game. So I, I'm already in basketball season. No one will be paying attention to them the rest of the year if they lose this game. If they find a way to win it, all right. I think people will hang on a little bit and see what happens, play the string out on the season. I'm with you, though, in terms of handicapping this game. I think it's a a close game, and I think it's a three-point field goal game either way. I'm going to go Tennessee to win, but Kentucky to cover that three and a half as well. But I'm actually going under on this game. I know you said you really like the over here. I'm going 27-24, so uh, staying under by the half a point. 51 the total for me. Kentucky and the under is my pick. So Saturday at 7.30, we have Ohio State at Wisconsin. The Buckeyes are a 14.5-point favorite, and the total is 44. Just feels like an ugly game where Ohio State's going to win and comfortably, but it just feels ugly. I'm going to go Ohio State 27. That's nah, even too high. I'll go 24 13 Ohio State wins at their defense. Wisconsin's so bad offensively. 24-13, so Wisconsin covers. It stays under, and Ohio State gets a very comfortable win. All right, so Skinny is on Wisconsin and the under. Um, Look, Wisconsin only scored six points against Iowa two weeks ago. Iowa has their style, and they are a good defense too, but – What is that that style? Time out. Whoa, what is that style? We don't score.com? Yeah, it's just punt, uh, punt, 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 and defend. Hit hard. God um, it's so bad. I, that, for that point, I don't think this Wisconsin team is scoring at all against Ohio State, hardly. I'm going to go a, a pity touchdown late, but Ohio State 28, Wisconsin 7 is my score, so I've got OSU and the under. Saturday at 8 p.m., we've got Cincinnati at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State is a 7.5-point favorite, and the total is 53. Oklahoma State looks so awful against South Alabama. I mean, they got boat raced 33-7 to at home. And I'm like, oh, there's a win for UC on top of the Baylor and Iowa State games. And, boy, they could come out of that game if they just lose to Oklahoma and beat Miami. They're going to maybe only be a one-loss team at that point. Now you're fighting for survival, and I just don't see it, man. I, I get that they're still fighting. You're right that they fought back in the Baylor game. But Oklahoma State's playing really, really well at the moment on the road at night in Stillwater. I lived in Tulsa for a while, so I know what good old boy Oklahoma late nights are like. So trust me, there's going to be a bunch of rowdy crowd there and a handful of drunks and all those things. I I just feel this game gets out of hand for UC. I'm going to go Oklahoma State 34, UC 14. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you on that. I'm going – 
Oklahoma State 35, Cincinnati 24. So Oklahoma State and the over for me. Um, Oklahoma State has won three straight games now as an underdog. Those were against Kansas State, Kansas, and West Virginia. Not that any of those are too incredibly impressive, but it's certainly better than what UC's been doing recently. It just kind of shows you the trajectory of the season for Oklahoma State. I think they're on a roll. All right, let's move on to our Sunday game. I don't know, like, we got to do our best bet. What's your best bet? Well, we got to do our Sunday game first and then the best oh, bet. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. My fault. Yeah. Sunday at 425, we've got the uh, Bengals in San Francisco playing the 49ers. The 49ers are a five-and-a-half-point favorite, and the total is 45. And uh, I'll tell you, I already got the Bengals plus six. So this line, yeah. line is moving the other it's- way. I think it's down to four and a half at the moment, Rick. So yes, and it's because of the obviously the injury to Brock Purdy and oh, the wow, Sam that just situation. Changed then. Yeah, and it, and it may go even even less. So it, at the point that we've got it, I think this is the Bengals. This is the this is what they do. They they make your ring your hands. They come out of the bye. They're healthy. They're going to play well, in my opinion. I, I think they pull off the upset. I'm going to go Bengals 27. Now I go Bengals Bengals 26. 49ers 23. All right, I I uh, I'm with you on that. I think the Bengals are going to win this game outright, actually, and I think this is kind of the the same old script we've seen from this team, especially going back to last year. I'm going to say Bengals 16, 49ers 13. So Bengals in the under for me. All right, what's your best bet of the week, Skinny? Oh, I go, I, I got to do it. It's it's much my trademark. I'm going to the 14 teaser route one more time. I just of course, keep going of course. I'm still living on the house money from the one big teaser win. So it's, I think these are all one o'clock games. I'm going to take Dallas. I'm going to use a six-team teaser, six-point teaser, rather, not six teams, six-point, four-team teaser. I'm going to take Dallas down to a pick them at home against the Rams. Um, I'm going to take Green Bay up to getting six at home against Minnesota. Every Monday night winner comes the next week and lays an egg. It's just kind of tradition. They either lay an egg or don't cover. That game is a pick them in Green Bay. Give me a freaking break. That's silly, and I don't think Green Bay's any good. I'm going to take Indy up to getting seven and a half at home against New Orleans. And I'm going to take Miami down to two, uh, two and a half at home against New England. All right. Uh, I'm going to go with. Actually, Rick, I'm making it a five teamer. I'm making it a five teamer. Add it on. Who do you want? I'm throwing Pittsburgh in there, getting eight and a half at home against Jacksonville. All one o'clock games. Okay, there you go. So five team tees for Skinny. I'm going a single college football game, and this one could go either way. This could definitely be a backfire game, but it. But I also think uh, it's probably likely more likely to go the other way, which is Penn State's going to bounce back in a big way. Indiana is the best cool. team to play if you're looking for a get-right game. Oh, I'm going to pick Penn State to cover the 32 points. I think they're yeah, going to win this one by 40-plus, like 55-10 to 10 or something. So uh, ride Penn State, even though – they're getting 32 points just or giving 32 points to swallow hard and, and yeah, that, play them. That, that, that's a job that's going to come open at the end of the season, the Indiana job. Yeah, those guys have quit. All right, let's get into some Ask Skinny. Anything to wrap this one up? We'll start with the sports question. Skinny, what is the best sports logo in Cincinnati, pro and college? Hmm, that's a good one. I like D'Artagnan. I like the Musketeer a lot. I think the Cyclones logo is pretty cool. Um, 
you know, UCs is pretty cool, but they don't use it like a ton on like helmets or things like that. I, I do love from a uniform perspective. I do love the old the cats or the cats thing across the front for UC, the old school. Maybe it's because I grew up yes, in that script. era. Of those movies. I'm going to go Xavier's logo. I like Xavier's logo a lot. Are you talking about the old Running Man logo or the X? No, well, is that the logo I use? I, I think D'Artagnan's the logo to me. Is he not? Well, you're talking about the man. Yeah. Well, no, the, that's, 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 they use that as a logo, too. The X, X is part of the See, that depends. There's a lot of different things that you use as logos, too. That's the other part. Well, I, fair. But, I mean, I think X had, their logo is an X. They have the X with, like, a sword through it sometimes. Yeah. And I'm, I'm then the they have the old school running man logo with like the dribbling. Now I'm best. going cyclones. The hell with all of them. I'm going cyclones. I, I think the C paw is the best logo in, in college for sure. I, probably period. I think the C paw is the best logo for, for Cincinnati. Um, where, where, where they spent a hundred thousand dollars to take the C and put it in italics. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's, it is a good logo though. I did. I mean, I don't know how complicated well, we need to get with it. There, but sure. What about red legs? For, not red legs, but Mister Red for the Reds when they use like the old school. When they use running. the pack, yeah, I do like that one too. But they don't do it in. That's what I'm saying is what what do you consider the logo? I guess. Yeah, I like when it's that. I like Xavier's Running Man logo. I like UC's Bearcat dunking the basketball with yes. the C paw. That's a good. That's one. a good yeah. one. I like that one too. Um, yeah, and same thing with Kentucky, the old uh, UK with the Wildcat dunking the basketball around yes. it, or yes. maybe it's not dunking yeah. but scratching. Yeah, um, yeah. In terms of pro, I mean, the Bengals B sucks. They have like the worst logo for a team that has something good to work with. Yeah, but I, but you do like their helmets, though, right? The stripes are still pretty yeah. iconic. The helmets are incredible. That's what I'm saying. You have and so, so much good to work with, and then you do that right. B. To me, that's the helmet logo, though. That to me is the helmet logo. I know what you're saying, and I know what the question is, but that's the logo to me. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I you're you are flat out wrong about that, but I get what you're saying. <laughs> no, nothing. So I, I got on. Okay, if uh, skinny, if you found out your opponent was stealing signs, would you turn them in or would you lay a trap and switch your signs to make them regret it? Oh, I'd lay a trap in a heartbeat. I would. I would hope that the intelligence got back to me that you stole the sign. I'd mess you up so bad you wouldn't even know what just hit you. You'd be thinking I'd be running back cuts and I'm running some kind of flare screen, and you'd be looking at me going, "What the hell? He's, that's just that's a that's a slip screen set." No, buddy, it's not. We're we're coming out the other side on a flare. Uh, we're about to back cut you in a minute where we used to go dribble handoff. You're dead. Have a good time with it though. I used to love doing that when I was coaching where you put in like little tags on the end of your calls or at the beginning of them or whatever you where it's the same call, but you just changed something about the way you said it. Or like at the end, you, you clapped once or you said something in addition to it and it just changed it slightly. So you're now running a counter. So it looked like the play, but it was actually something different. That's like the best thing to do in sports. I mean, it, if, if people are stealing your signs, just you should be dominating them. That's like the easiest time to, to screw them up. So I, I've always had these these a couple of sets that were co- I, I call their colleges. They're named after colleges. And at one point, I had an official come by me. He goes, "Huh, it's funny those those college sets that you're calling with different names. They sure look the same." I said, "They sure are, aren't they?" I said, "But boy, they 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 sure sound different when I'm calling them, don't they?" Yeah, or like you I could mean, use uh, all words that start with the same letter or what have. I mean, there's all different types of variations that teams use to do these things. Uh, yeah. I feel like that's half the fun of coaching is like trying to hide your signs and, and trick the opponent. 
Correct. Skinny, when's when's the last time you've swallowed gum? It's been a while. It's one of my favorite uh, Andy Griffith episodes where Barney swallows his gum after he captures a guy in the barn, and, and, and Barney's freaking out because he's like, it's the second time he's captured this criminal, and uh, he can't speak for a second, and Andy turns to him and goes, Barney, speak to me. What's the matter? He goes, swallowed my gum. I, I haven't done that in a while. I, I'm not a big gum swallow. I will tell you, let me give you the worst thing I ever did from a gum swallowing standpoint. <clears throat> this was uh, back in high school, back when we were men, men were men, and, and, and we were proud to be men. We we as a baseball team at Dixie, we chewed, uh, we chewed red man. And I was, mm. I was not totally into it. So I'd always wrap mine in bubble gum, which makes it even sweeter. And you're spitting constantly. So it was a game for some reason. I, I wasn't, I didn't start. So I came in as a pinch hitter and got a base hit and I'm on base and I'm, I'm easily going to steal second. And I'm like, I'm you taking off. On this pitch. Off. I went by God, if I didn't swallow that whole damn thing, and I just, Called a quick time, walked to center field, and just upchucked it all, brother. Oh, that's. By the way, I never chewed Red Man man. again. I never chewed Red Man again after that, in case you're wondering. It only takes one. Only takes one. Uh, All right. By the way, I actually feel like I've done this recently because I find myself all late viewing chewing gum occasionally, and then like I go on air for something. Oh, right. like I take it out. On TV I, or we're doing a parent I, I, I take it like, out. Oh, I forgot. You swallow it before that or you take it out? Well, I like I, I've had it happen where I didn't realize it until it was too late. And I was just like, oh, we're on. Like, I just got to swallow this now. So that's oh, probably I, happened within the last I, few I, years. I, I've done. In fact, I did it today when I did the Mo Egger thing. I had gum in my mouth because I was coaching and I took it out and held it in my hand during the whole, the whole interview and then popped it back in. Oh, disgusting, was that but, a little stale or? Uh, no, it still had a spearmint flavor to it, in my opinion. Nice. All right. Mark says, what is your favorite Italian food? I'm currently in Italy. Uh, that, that was just a, come on, Mark. That was just a humble brag there. Yeah, it's a humble brag. It was, it's a nice humble brag. Yeah, just wanted um, to tell us he was in Italy. So listen, so we'll go to Pompilio's a few times a year. It's such a great Italian place. I can go to a lot of Italian places, but that's one of my favorites. Cause it's just, it's very genuine. Um, it's iconic too. On top of it, their spaghetti with meat sauce is outstanding. But, and this is going to gross a lot of people out. Probably, I'm a big veal piccata guy. I I don't get it all the time. I get it every once in a while. Um, I know a lot of people are grossed out by that. But when it's made right, in my opinion, and again, it's it's not it, it is an Italian dish because it's in an Italian restaurant. It's cooked in an Italian dish, but. Um, it's not obviously spaghetti and meat sauce. They do have angel hair spaghetti on the side, which is so good. They do it a little garlic. It's just, it's the most perfect. It's one of my top three or four meals ever. So yeah, veal piccata, but again, a good spaghetti with just good meat sauce and maybe one solid meatball on the side. I don't need five meatballs, just a good solid meatball on the side. That's you give me that in a glass of red wine or seven. I'm good to go, man. You had soda. I've not had soda. I've heard nothing but good things. Yeah, it's off the chart. To me, it's what, the best what, food what's experience your go-to, you'll get in the city. What's your go-to meal there? Well, you got to try like multiple things. It's, it's short, you know, small servings. You, you share Which, them. With, okay, like, I, I like that. Yeah, I like that concept. But, but short rib ravioli is the one you you got to get. Oh, That's I bet off the charts good. I'll bet. Are they, are they also, big raviolis? Uh, no, not not huge, but normal, uh, si- normal sized. Yeah, you you also got to save. Room though for the the donuts after dinner, I've heard off the charts. Yeah. Uh, finally, what's the best moment of live radio that you can recall listening to? Mm. 
We we've been asked a few times about the best live radio I think that you've done, but I don't yeah, know. Correct. In terms of what we heard. To, yeah. I didn't hear the call, so shame on me, because I was actually in the stadium at the time. I still think Marty's call of Pete's forty one ninety two was superb with Joe in the background yelling, get down, get down, get down. That that that's still one of one of my favorites. Um maybe it's local, etc. All those things. Um I'm a huge Kaywood Ledford fan who called Kentucky games forever. He he never had a one seminal moment, in my opinion, where I'm like, ah, that was iconic. Um, the the Marty call of that was pretty damn good, in my opinion. I'm trying to think. I feel like there have definitely been days where I've just been dying, laughing in my car, driving around, not wanting to get out because of something going on, like a talk radio bit or whatever. Mo's show or or maybe someone else's even back before Mo really got it rolling. I can't think of any specific incidences though off the yeah, top of my head. Any really good bits. Because those all run together, right? I mean, you hear a, yeah. a good bit or you hear a, a occasionally just a, a funny caller who's just a nut and you're like, oh, how's he going to handle this guy? Um, Etc. Because I remember handling those guys and I usually go, okay, have a good day. Click. See you later. You're done. Um, I I, I hate to do this, and this is terrible to say. Um, I love good hosts, and I love listening to good hosts. Um, I'll be honest with you; I've come to really enjoy Kentucky Sports Radio's show. I really do. It's a it's kind of in that morning lull for me, where I'm driving to Bengals, and um, I can get it out of a station in Lexington. And when the hosts are talking, I find it enjoyable. And then we go to Jimmy Joe goes, "You remember I met you back in that bookstore in Owensboro, right?" Yeah, we sure do. But and then it's just some stupid question. I'm like, oh, click. I don't I can't. I can't do it. I cannot do I want to do it. I can't do it. Matt, what's gonna be the key to beating Tennessee this week? I'll hang up and listen. There's never a hang up and listen. It's oh, I met you back at the bookstore in Middlesbrough. You remember that? Nah, I just I don't. I'm sorry, I don't. Uh, why are the why are all the phone connections in Kentucky so bad? Why do they all also go whatnot or just gonna work? I don't know. And by the way, for those of you who live in Kentucky, Rick and I are proud Kentuckians, just in case proud you are wondering. And and I actually agree. It's so funny because Matt Jones is a guy who, like, the way he broke into covering all this stuff was basically by stealing information like I run. I didn't respect a lot of that. Yeah, and he would just take that stuff when there it was behind paywalls. He would put it out for free. And Kentucky was a big enough fan base that there was actually the interest that you could just get enough page views. Like most fan bases, that's not going to work for like Ohio right. State football, some of the other big SEC football programs, and then you know North Carolina and Kentucky and Duke maybe for basketball it would work. And that's about it. But he knew that that would work, and uh, he did a great job of it early. I really despised him early on because of his kind of attitude he had towards doing that and the way he carried himself. But I will say they do a, they they've continued to maintain a great site. The quality's really never wavered in terms of how much content and the quality of it that they put up and the radio show, like you've said, I mean, Matt's kind of matured into a pretty good host himself yes. and the cast of characters he has works around him. And uh, I'm with you. It's, it's a pretty good show. And, and just in general, you're talking about liking listening to a good host. I, I'm to the point where I'd, I'd just rather never hear callers during talk radio. It's like, with, it's, and, and people always bitch about, you need to take more callers. Why? What do, what, what do most of them add? I mean, you really don't. The, yeah. It's the one time I kind of like it is in a, a post game show, like a call in post game show. I do think it can be kind of funny there because you just get people absolutely losing their minds. And quite honestly, the content in shows like that aren't very good from the host either. So it's like, I'd rather just hear the stupidity, but like on a daily basis, listening to talk, you know, uh, afternoon drive radio, 
I, I don't want to hear callers with bad questions. Yes. Because that's uncomfortable because as a host, you got two things. You can either be an ass and blow them up. And most people are not that way. I mean, I wasn't even that way. I, I didn't suffer fools very gladly. But at the same time, I get it. You don't know what you're talking about. You think you do. You want to, you want to be – and it's like, I'm going to have to give you an answer that you're – hey, you're not going to – you're never going to – you're not going to like it because I'm going to give it to you straight. There was a guy who called Lance the other night about, oh, why doesn't that, that killer call better plays? Dude, what? That, that's the best you got. Is it? That, that's literally the best you got, my brother. All right, good luck to you. Have a good day. Th- that's what I, my, my concern for people is. Like, if you're, and I, I say this to people on the Xavier site I run occasionally, it's like if you are on this site and you're reading it regularly, you clearly understand by what you're reading that you don't get the game like most of the other people talking about it on here. Right. It's okay for you to just read and listen and, and learn. Correct. Like you you don't have to always put in your comments or ask your questions that don't make any sense and and like you clearly don't understand what's going on. It's fine to not know. You can just learn. You know, that's okay too. It's okay too. I'm with you though. I mean I'd rather listen when there's good hosts, I just rather listen to that because that entertains me in the second. I mean I love Dan Patrick and I'll occasionally get Susie in Des Moines. Susie's got a or Jimmy in I'm six two two ten. Good click. See you later. Have a good day. I'll go somewhere else, guy. You uh, you're not the the Jim Rome guy. Don't no. smack off or whatever. No. He used to no. call it. Always was a turnoff. That show always <laughs> has been a. I I haven't watched or listened to that till it till the days where it was on the station I was on. I no no thank you. It was it was great if you were seventeen. Yes, correct. When you were like, I was 17 years old. It was correct. a really good show. I remember correct. in high school thinking, yeah. what, a, what a cool correct. show this is. Correct. And uh, that was about the time it ended. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All well, right. Rick, appreciate it as always. Thanks for the questions. We will be back next week. Uh, appreciate everybody's flexibility. We had to go a little bit early, but you're not going to notice the difference. This will be up on Thursday morning, and it'll sound the same. It'll all be the same. You'll either like it the same or you'll hate it the same. So that's what it is. For Rick Morgan, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly pro edition, presented by Blake, the attorney major.